Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Live show, where we interview athletes, coaches, entertainers, artists, musicians, authors, and many more on both our podcast and YouTube channels. We discuss their upbringing, careers, and what they're doing today. We document the past so the future can remember. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share our programs. Got a guest you'd like to hear? Contact us and try and get them on the program. We have over 200 episodes recorded, so please enjoy. Stories can't be remembered unless they are told. Someone asked me one time how I get my guest ideas. It's easy. Those I've had memories of in my lifetime. In a weird sort of way, it brings closure to certain times in my life. A history major at Indiana State University, I feel it's my way of preserving history for future generations to remember. Welcome to the program. Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Live show. I am your host, Billy Powell. Today with us is former Indiana State University men's basketball manager, athletic trainer, and been all over the world, and from what I understand, has stories galore, is Rick Shaw, Plainfield Quaker. Am I correct, Rick Shaw? You are correct. Thanks for having me, Billy. Hey, you're quite welcome. We've, uh, uh, both of us, I think, since the last time we tried to do this, uh, I feel like maybe both of us were on that Leonard Skinner plane that went down and we survived because we went through a lot of medical stuff because uh, you sure as heck did. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how you're doing now. I'm doing pretty well now, actually. Uh, I'm still in a wheelchair and uh, I go to therapy twice a week. And uh, the the big news was I was able to stand by myself uh, Two days ago for the first time and it's pretty exciting stuff there you know when when you're bedridden for almost a year and then you're able to stand it's it's pretty exciting so i think the next the next thing is to take some steps and my goal is by thanksgiving so i know that's a little aggressive but uh, i may be on a walker for a while and then hopefully progress to a cane and then uh, we'll see if I can progress off of that. But it's been a long road. I mean, it's it's been a scary long road. Uh, Rick, how do you keep your spirits up, and how do you uh, keep the, that positive attitude every day going through that process? It's pretty difficult, actually. Uh, I, I got a heads up by my cardiologist, uh, Brad Litke. He... Uh, he told me, he said, now you've had open heart surgery. You're going to go through some depression. And that helped just knowing, I mean, I could watch a Pampers commercial on TV and start crying. <laughs> it, is, it was so depressing. And just knowing that, hey, this is going to happen, that helped. If he hadn't have told me that, I would have, I would have probably been even worse. But I have a wonderful group of uh extended family that kind of takes care of me and um, I got uh, five guys that I've had lunch with on Fridays for years and they've kept it up they bring food here to my house so uh, I've kept in touch with them and actually one of them was the guy that took me to down to homecoming last weekend at ISU and so just seeing other people and and Kind of having these little baby steps has really helped me 
uh, hang on because it, it gets pretty rough and dark at times. So you have five guys that you have uh, lunch or dinner with, and uh, isn't it ironic that there's five guys that start on a basketball team? Yes, yes. And uh, what's even more ironic is one of the guys that I have lunch with on Fridays, uh, his name's Vince Bender, and he was my banker here in Plainfield. And I walked into his office when he first got the job, and there's a picture of the Purdue basketball team on his credenza. And I said, well, what's that all about? He says, well, I was a manager at Purdue, the basketball team. So then we sat down and started exchanging stories and he was there and his senior year was 1974. And my freshman year at ISU was 1975. So we just missed each other. Very interesting. You know, we, so we had commonality there. So it's very interesting. Uh, b before we get into uh, where you were born and raised and uh, how you uh, kind of lo love the game of basketball and, of, of course, all sports because of, of your athletic trainer uh, past, um, uh, I, you know, I, I guess I've lived in Houston now for 26 years and uh, we're going the World Series begins tonight and they're playing the Phillies. Um, you know, uh, does America really uh, hate the Astros? Um, I think the cheating scandal kind of, kind of soured a lot of folks, but, um, you know, that's, that's just, everybody does stuff like that. I mean, I, I, I don't see how they can condemn them for life on that. It's, uh, they've been stealing signs from pitchers and catchers for years. Uh, I remember the second, if you, if you were on second base as a base runner, you would try to look over the pitcher's hip to the catcher's glove and see what the signal was for a pitch. They were stealing signs and giving that back to the to the batter before the pitch came. They've been doing that for years. So I just don't think it's that big a deal. And the Astros are a very good team. I was just pulling for the Padres to get in there and play them since I used to work for the Padres. I was hoping that would be a Padre Astro World Series. Didn't make it. So, Rick, Rick Shaw, tell us a little bit about where you were born, raised, and uh, where you went to high school and where your love of sports or wanting to get involved with sports uh, came from. Well, I was born here. I was born in Indianapolis, but I lived in Plainfield most of my life. And, um, you know, I, I went to Plainfield High School, and I, I knew early on I was not going to be a basketball player. I was too slow, couldn't jump, and I was a white guy. So it wasn't going to happen at Plainfield. And I uh, I got involved with, you know, I played football, and I, I was enjoying that, but I hurt my knee, and I got involved with, with the guy who was performing the athletic training duties, but he was not fully trained. He was just a coach that knew how to tape. So I got involved with that, went to a thing called a Kramer camp, and I learned how to tape that way and get involved with stretching and things like that. And I just stayed with it. And then the basketball coach at Plainfield, John Yoho, just kind of took me under his wing. And I stayed with basketball all four years in high school. 
and then uh, I really wanted to go to Purdue. And I, I was enrolled at Purdue, had a room assignment with a roommate from Plainfield. I was going, and then I went with another friend because at Plainfield, you got a day off of school free. Wasn't counted as an absence if you went to a college for a visit. So I, I went with him down to ISU and I met counselors that took us around and showed us. Says, well, now what are you interested in? I said, well, I'm going to Purdue. You know, I'm, I'm Big Ten bound. And he said, well, why are you doing that? And I said, well, I'm going to be an athletic trainer and work with the basketball team. And he said, well, we have a brand new basketball coach here who's also the athletic director like to meet him i go nah i'm going to purdue so they worked out a deal where i I, we were just walking through the the facility there at at the hyper building and coach king bob king was his office was there so they took me in there and introduced me to him and you know he he coached mel daniels at new mexico so he he'd been around and, and he was an older fellow but he was our athletic director and I stay older and he's like 50 some years old. And here I am 65 now. So I've lapped him and coach King says, well, you know, if you go to the big 10 schools, they don't recognize managers or trainers and they don't financially give you any assistance. But if you come here and bust your tail for the first two years, I'll give you books and tuition. Well, that sounded like a pretty good deal. And then I started thinking about my family and, you know, they could get on US 40 or 70 and just drive straight over to Terre Haute and catch a ball game. Whereas at Purdue, it was going to be about an hour drive north, hour and a half drive. And uh, depending on the weather and, you know, I'm a, I'm a high school kid thinking about weather and stuff like that. So I decided to, to switch and go to ISU, which was the best decision I ever made in my life. Because who knew Larry Bird was going to be there? And Coach King and Bill Hodges and Stan Evans were these coaches there. And and Hodges was able to recruit uh, Larry Bird to come to Indiana State. They had Danny King, who was also a player at French Lick with Larry. So they knew each other, and there was a chemistry there. And it just worked out perfectly for me. And then I met the athletic trainer who was going to be the basketball athletic trainer. And he was coming in brand new from Illinois and Bob Benke and Bob and I hit it off just right. And we became, he became my mentor, but we became friends and he still calls me his, his fifth son. So I um, really was fortunate to hang with him. And I mean, I got the best education you could possibly have. And so, you know, it progressed on. And the second year I was there, the, we, we had the team that went to Houston in the NIT and played Otis Birdsong. And uh, that was a great experience going to, into a tournament like that. We lost on a last-second shot. And so we're out of the tournament because the NCAA tournament only took uh, 24 or 36 teams at that time. They didn't, they didn't take uh, – as many teams as they take now. So we, we went to the NIT. In the second year, we were 25 and 6 or 7, and we went to the NIT again. 
because we weren't in a major conference at that point. And we ended up beating Illinois State at our place, and then we went to Rutgers and played them, and they had James Bailey, and we lost by one there. So we're out of the tournament for the second year, losing by one both times. And then uh, the third year was Larry's Larry's third year, uh, his senior year. He came back. Over the summer, Coach King had a, had a heart attack at a basketball camp in Iowa, and I heard that, and I thought, oh, my gosh, there goes my scholarship. So I come back and find out that uh, Coach King had had an aneurysm. And I think, well, now he's not going to remember what he told me because he told me my fifth year or fourth year there that I would have a full scholarship. And I was scared to death. So I went down to ISU and Coach King had written before he had surgery to repair his aneurysm. We didn't have post-it notes back then. So just a little piece of paper he had written to his secretary, Betty Radcliffe, um, make sure Rick Shaw gets a full scholarship this year. So I walked through the door and she said, don't worry, I got you covered. So they took care of me and I had a full scholarship the year we went to the final four. And so I was treated just like a player and the players treated me just like one of them. And I, they still do. And it just, it was so nice, but, uh, I couldn't have asked for a better experience. I mean, I, I was the right place, right time kind of guy. You know, I was going to Purdue, and then I shifted gears and made a decision that changed my life forever. I, I've told Larry this, but he's opened more doors for me than he would ever know. And I'm very appreciative of that. And, you know, it's nice when somebody does something for you and they don't even have to be asked. It just happens. And... So many, so many people just know the name Larry Bird, so you don't have to say a whole lot. And they don't even know he played at Indiana State. They think they played, he played for Bobby Knight. And then you can explain this, the whole situation. And um, I've just had a wonderful opportunity there. And I, I don't know how many people would ever fall into a bucket like I did and come out smelling like Rose. <laughs> Rick, when you went to the uh, Kramer, uh, Jack, uh, I think Jack Kramer was in charge of those Kramer camps. Was that in Bloomington? No, I went I went to one at Lafayette. And do they still make Kramer products? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, they're, they're pretty well, uh, uh, I mean, it's kind of a broker thing. So, like, the major... Uh, Sports medicine, athletic training supply companies sell their products. Now, I know you can go online to Kramer.com, and I think you can get uh, you can get to them, and you can order things. But yes, they make a lot of things. Uh, Rick, so tell us a little bit about uh, the you know once you got to Indiana State, and once you know. It, there, there's got to be stories. I, I don't know. You, pro you probably could write a book. I don't know if you'd ever sat down and write or think, you know, that, that falls into the category of a top 10 story. But w what was it like learning how to 
Um, you're taking a lot of stuff that you learned from the Kramer camps with you to Indiana State University, but uh, what's the learning process about with sports medicine and how did you apply that to the basketball team? Well, when I first got there, you know, I I think ISU is huge, but it's nothing like, like an Indiana or a Purdue as far as size. It's an inner, it was an inner city campus. Um, not the, the prettiest campus you've ever been on, but I got started there. I met the, the head of program director was uh, Mel Blickenstaff and Mel's no longer with, but Mel was, uh, had a reputation throughout the United States as being a wonderful athletic trainer. He's probably one of the top two or three people in the country as far as reputations. And then he was kind of like your grandpa. You know, he was a kindly old gentleman, and his his focus was on taping. Everything could be taped, and you know, my my thinking was that there's got to be a reason you're taping it. It's either for support or there's a problem. If there's a problem, let's address the problem. That's where Dr. Benke came in. He had a little different take on it, and his taping techniques were totally different than Mel Blickenstaff. So I had to learn a different approach and so i they had me going out to the stadium and working spring football and and all those things just for experience and just for the opportunity to to continue to to learn i learned from ray baggett out there and uh when i'm speaking to these people most of them have already passed but they've uh, they've left a big footprint in athletic training dr benke's still with us he's 83 years old and Ken Knight came in and took over. And Ken Knight was much more of a uh, theoretical type athletic trainer. He, instead of using ultrasound on a on a, a contusion, he would have you tearing apart the ultrasound machine to see what how it, how it worked and how it ticked. What were the what were the uses behind it? Why were you using it? Whereas uh, the other the other gentleman would would just say, use the ultrasound to do this. It will break up a contusion, or use the muscle stem to to get the muscle working and pump out any extra impurities you got in the in the skin there. You know, it was just a total different education. And then Doctor Benke, as he took me under his wing, I mean, it just I was so blessed. And then getting involved with the basketball team, that's actually what got me through college because I, I admit, and I, I've been inducted into the Plainfield High School Hall of Fame. And when in my induction speech, I apologized to all the teachers for being such a terrible student in high school because <laughs> I, I didn't want to let my social activities interfere with my studies. So uh, when I got to ISU, I had to get a little better handle on going to school and, and reading and becoming a student but uh you know you, you find something like athletic training you're interested in and you just kind of dig in and um you enjoy the the whole process of learning and and uh had some wonderful instructors over there and uh one of them was Dwayne Clee who coached many years there and was probably the best tennis and badminton player I've ever seen 
no one in class could ever score a point on him and he's still around and uh what a nice man he's just sharp as attack when you talk to him i saw him at the at when bill hodges was inducted into the isu hall of fame and he remembered me and he said i've followed your career and he said i'm so proud of you and i said wow that's that's something to be recognized by a former teacher and that's kind of the way the people at ISU were. They were all family and very good to you. And, you know, they wanted you to succeed. And I, I just, I just can't tell you how fortunate I was to go there. Cause I, I could have gone to Purdue and got lost in the, in the melee up there. And, you know, Lee Rose was the coach whenever I, whenever I was talking to him, it was Fred Shouse. By the time I would have gone there, Lee Rose would have been the head coach. It would have been a different situation because they did go to the Final Four the year after we did, but I don't even know that I would have been part of it. You still with me there, Rick? I'm still here. Um, you said something about a pretty campus. <laughs> Where did you stay at, at, uh, while you went to Indiana State University on campus? Well, my first year I stayed at what was called Gillum Hall, and now it's part of the union building and all the student offices are in it. So it's not a dorm anymore. And then we had a huge gravel parking lot in front of it. Now that's part of the fountain. And they took the streets out, and the streets are, it's like a, a closed campus. And they've really made a, made a nice-looking inner-city campus out of it. You know, Terre Haute is not a booming metropolis anyway, and it was, it was never, there were a lot of jokes about Terre Haute because they had the paper mill down by the interstate that always smelled. People would drive through from one state to another, and they would get a big whiff of Terre Haute. Like, oh, that's the place that stinks. And it just it they've really cleaned it up and they've done a wonderful job. The president Bradley, that before the president now, he did a lot for uh, cleaning up the parking lots. The parking lots were all gravel when I was there. It was really kind of a dump. And you know, you're right downtown, and, and back in the 70s, downtowns were dying, so they were all moving to the malls, and just wasn't a real, a lot of vacant shops and stores downtown, and it just wasn't real pretty. And a railroad track ran just on the north side of town, and every time a train would go through, it would just shake everything, but I lived at Gillum the first year. And the second year, they had a place called Lincoln Quad, which they just tore down this year. And it was uh, three bedrooms, three single bedrooms, a double bedroom, and a living room and bath, like a little uh, apartment. But you still had the, you had to go the, to the cafeteria. And I'm sure there were a lot of alcoholic beverages smuggled into that place, but not so much in my area, but sororities had stairwells and we had a stairwell just myself and some of my friends 
and that was my second year. And then the third year, I got, I moved off campus into an apartment, and that's how that's where I stayed the next two years. The last year, I had worked in pro baseball, and I didn't get home until after Labor Day. So my mom went down to Terre Haute and found an apartment for me. So I was on the west, no, east side of Terre Haute, closer to Plainfield. And then I had to drive into campus every day. And if you were around ISU in the 70s, you know the parking was on the street and was very limited except for those gravel parking lots. And if it rained, of course, you had mud puddles and oh, what a mess. But it's all cleaned up now and it's beautiful. They've done a wonderful job. The Valley, who is still kind of the center over on the, on the east side of campus, and that's the local bar. The sign says the Country Club of Indiana State. But I just, you know, it, it just wasn't as pretty a campus as other, like Ball State had such a nice campus and so did uh, Purdue and IU. But they've improved it so much. Now they've, they've extended the halt, the Holman uh, Center and there'll be there'll be a Larry Bird Museum on the end of it out next to, to Cherry Street, and that'll be kind of exciting to go back and see what's all there. So, I think they've improved the place a lot, and it's Holman Center has been redone, and I, I saw some pictures of it Saturday, and the floor. The floor is wood now. We played on a tartan surface. And they have a nice wooden floor. It's John Wooden Court. And we had uh, seats at the end of the court. Those have all been taken out. That's where the stage used to be for concerts. And all that's been taken out. And that's where the student section is. But... Uh, the locker room has been remodeled. It's not the same locker room. So uh, training room that I worked in is now part of the locker room and they have they have nicer sofas in there than I have in my house. So they take care of the guys now that, you know, my guys back in the seventies, we all had to sit in plastic chairs, nothing fancy. But now they've got uh, soda machines and and juice machines and and fruit places you can grab some fruit and water dispensers so it's a whole different world now you know i went to indiana state university from 1986 to 1990 and graduated with a history degree and i stayed at uh, cromwell for my first three years and i stayed at lincoln quad my senior year um, and, you know, it was, you know, like, you know, of course, going to basketball games when I was there was free to uh, all of the students. And even with it being free, you couldn't get people show up because, uh, you know, we're going through that Ron Green and that Tate's Lock era. Um, you know, while you were there, you know, Indiana State University had lightning in a bottle with Larry Bird. Do you ever you feel that uh, the Sycamores were ever get back to, you know, besides a year, a year or two here and there? You know, we're, we're, we're kind of like, uh, you know, not thought of as a basketball school. Um, 
And, you know, when they had, when you guys had Larry Bird, you know, we had that lightning in the bottle. Do you think that'll ever come to pass? Or is that just, you know, something that Butler has a, uh, a niche on or some of these other schools, smaller schools like Gonzaga have a niche on? And, you know, do you think Indiana State will be able to ever be that way again? Well, I think they they can. They have to get the right people in place. And I think, you know, I thought that the coach they had was Greg Lansing. I thought he was a wonderful guy. But uh, they let him go, and they have a new coach now down there, Coach Shirts. And I'm hoping that uh, he'll get it turned around. But, you know, it, it's all about recruiting. And, and now with this, NCAA has the nil program that, almost like buying players you know if somebody wants to go to isu all purdue has to do is come in and say yeah we'll give you so much money for your likeness and your name isu is going to have a hard time competing and i i don't know how many larry birds there are out there but you don't see them many very often so talk about lightning in a bottle man it was it was so blessed i was so blessed to be there at that time because, uh, you know, think of all the colleges. How many Larry Birds are out there? Somebody that can come in and change your program from going 15 and 14 to 25 and 3 to 23 and 7 to 33 and 1. And that just doesn't happen very many places. So finding okay. the next Larry Bird going to be difficult. Uh, Rick, what, kind of com- what, what kind of competitor was Larry? Oh, fierce. Fierce. Everything he did, he was competitive. You know, it, they started, the players started playing a thing called liar's poker, where you have a dollar bill and say, say, I've got a, a nine. Oh, I've got two eights. And I mean, he, he was so so much of a, a, a competitive person. He would win that all the time. And he would play horse after the games. He would take, you ever see that commercial with him and, uh, and um, Michael Jordan, where they shoot balls off the scoreboard and yes. off the building. Okay. He did stuff like that in college. That was real. And ISU, we had these guy wires that held the baskets up to, to the wires went up to the ceiling. And he would, he would come out of the, the locker room there, the, the entryway to the court, and he could shoot from back there over the basket, over the wire, and drop it in. And nobody could hit that shot. Nobody could even hit the rim. And you probably remember the Bobby Heaton half-court shot at New Mexico State. The next practice we had, everybody lined up and tried to make that shot, and nobody could make it but Larry, not even Heater. Uh, just he, he was just very competitive. And he'd get out there and play one-on-one with Mel Daniels. And Mel would come in after practice just dripping with sweat. He said, you know, that kid's ready for the NBA right now. I've never played against a guy like him. And as fierce of, as a competitor, he was that nice of a guy to me. I couldn't have asked for a, a star like that to be that nice 
he just never spoke a lot. You know, he was very quiet, a little bit shy, but he could speak on the court. He didn't need to spend a lot of time talking. Like the time he had me, uh, we had shoes. The Adidas people came down and measured his feet and they did uh, soft uh, compressions of his feet and sent them off and had shoes made for Larry. And they had them flown into the airport in Terre Haute. If you've ever been to the airport, Terre Haute, uh, <laughs> Terre Haute is about the size. There's two gates and both of them are chain link fences. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't have a car and Larry gave me keys to his car, which was a big old boat is a Mopar and it filled the lane. It was about like driving an RV and nothing fancy. So he had me go out to the airport and pick up his shoes and coming back, back in those days, you had to have your car inspected every year. Well, his inspection sticker had expired. So I got pulled over and wrote me a ticket and for inspection sticker. So I went in with those shoes. Everything okay? I said, yep, here's your keys. Oh, and by the way, your inspection is overdue. And I showed him the ticket and he said, give me that. And I don't know if he paid it or had it taken care of, but it, it I didn't have to pay it. So, he was just that kind of guy, you know. He he was you do something nice for him, he carry. Rick, how close do you think or what would have had to have changed or adjustments would have had to have been made that you that do you think that we could have won against Michigan State that year? Well, the year before when Larry was a junior, we had a guy on the team named Richard Johnson. Richard was 7-1, and he had an NBA body. He was from Detroit and really intimidating. And when we played Purdue at our place, he, he scared the heck out of Joe Barry Carroll. And uh, if we had Richard that senior year when Larry was a senior, I think we could have gone and gotten him then. But we, we needed another, another gun. You know, we had uh, – Larry, of course, who still scored 19 points in that game. And we had Carl Nix and Steve Reed would get you the ball. And we had Miley who could guard anybody. And Alex could jump out of the building. And so we had good rebounders, but we needed a, we needed a presence in the middle that was a, a defensive presence that would scare the heck out of anybody. And Richard would do that. He opened the locker room door and he scared you. He filled the doorway, you know, he's seven one and big, thick, muscular guy. And we didn't have anybody can control the boards like that. You know, Alex and Larry did a wonderful job rebounding and getting the ball out, but we just needed a bigger fella in the middle that could, could help out. Cause I, Michigan state, you know, they had so many guns. I mean, they, they, uh, they had guys that could shoot from the outside before this, before the three-point line. Could shoot from way outside. You had Magic and and Charles and 
because they had so many guys coming at you. They could take people out and put six men in, and it was like coming at you with more force every time. So we just didn't have enough guys to get over the hump. And, and besides that, we had a ref. There had a referee that didn't, couldn't. He wasn't. He shouldn't even been in that game. He was terrible. We had a couple of offensive fouls that were called undercutting on our part. So that gave him uh, two shots and the ball out of bounds. It was like a technical foul back then. And one of the one of the pictures on Sports Illustrated was Heaton taking a charge underneath the basket. And that was called one of those fouls. So I think we could have won that game, but I think if we'd have played them in a 10 game series, we might've only two or three. We just, we weren't as strong as they were. That was a good Michigan state team. You know, a lot of people don't know this and I don't think I'm mistaken. Then let me know, but was it UPI or AP? We still won the national champion. We were still number one at the end of the year. Uh, UPI, and that's the trophy still at ISU, national champions. Yes. So we can kind of be like, you know, Purdue won the national championship in 1932. We actually won it in 1979. Yes. <laughs> and I think AP's national championship was after the tournament. Uh, so we you, you, what, go ahead. Sorry. We weren't supposed to be there. Nobody picked us to be that far. Billy Packer was shooting us down from the very beginning. Al McGuire is the only one that stood up and said, Hey, this ISU team's got something. That was a nice motivational thing. When, when Al McGuire says you're, you're a good team. And, you know, he'd been the coach of Marquette in 1977 won the championship. So uh, we, we thought a lot of Al and he would come to our practices. Billy Packer didn't come to our practices. Uh, Rick, uh, what we, are the, we had, a, we had a practice at, uh, at the Huntsman center there in, in Utah. And at the end of the practice, everybody picked up a ball and threw it at Billy Packer. <laughs> and they made sure that the balls hit the floor before they got to him. Nobody wanted to hurt him. And he said, boy, I sure hope you shoot better than that tonight. <laughs> Knowing Larry, he would have picked one up and drilled him right in the head. <laughs> so, so Rick, what was your, your, the process, the, the job looking process, you're getting ready to graduate from Indiana state university, or you're getting ready to go into your senior year. What, what did you, what, what did Rick Shaw want to do with his life? I wanted to get a high school job somewhere around Indianapolis so I could be close to my family. And back then high schools didn't really have many athletic trainers. So I talked to a couple of the athletic directors, um, like at Warren central and, uh, Ben Davis, which had an athletic trainer. Um, but nobody was nobody. I could have maybe gotten a job at Warren Central if I'd have taught math. But you don't know me that well. But I struggle with math still. That's not a free subject for me. <laughs> so 
we had a, a grad student the year before who had a roommate. I mean, it's a long story, but had a roommate that was now general manager for a, a team in Salem, Virginia, and it was a farm team for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They were looking for an athletic trainer. So I got the word they were looking, so I applied, and I got an interview, phone interview, with Branch Rickey III. So it's uh. Branch Rickey's grandson. And Dr. Benke got up, he's my reference. So he got on the phone with them and he told them that if they would hire me, if I didn't do a good job, that he would come the next year, take a sabbatical and work for him for free. So that was a huge recommendation. So they hired me right out of college and I wasn't certified by the NATA that they didn't seem to care. So I did that. And then I went back to ISU that I had take into King completes on all those classes because you got to be in spring training in February. And I got there and I was, uh, the AAA athletic trainer was holding out for more money. And I got there and I was the only one that spoke English. The double A and the, the other single A trainer were from, from, uh, South American countries, or one was from the Dominican. He didn't speak English hardly at all. They knew the dirty words, but they didn't know how to how to talk in a complete sentence. <laughs> so I ordered all the supplies for the entire facility, and you know I'm right out of college, so I'm and I did I did fine. And I had to take care of Willie Stargell a couple of times, and. Uh, I got a Stargell star for helping him. Now, do you remember the caps that they had? They they had the, the star with the S on them. Yep. And he gave those out to people that, uh, that he thought did a nice job or, or made a good play in a game. So I still have mine, and mine's framed. And uh, so I, I worked for them for a year, and then I went back to ISU, and I decided that the minor league baseball was, was difficult, you know, cause I was first, first guy in there. I was working out of a hallway in the athletic and the, the athletic complex and just wasn't what I was wanting to do. So the, the, the next year I, I was planning on going back and trying to find a job that I had tried to find the year before and nothing was available. We're talking 1980. So the Pirates move out of Salem, Virginia, and the Pitts, the San Diego Padres move in. I have the same general manager, and he told them, he said, the most important guy on this team needs to be the athletic trainer, and I want Rick Shaw. And Lou Valentic is was the guy that backed me up on that. So the Padres hired me, went back to Salem, Virginia for the summer, had a good year there. My my manager was Glennie Zell. And Easy swears that he was the catcher in the movie Bull Durham in the in the real life events of Bull Durham. And Nolan Ryan was the pitcher. And uh, Easy was the the catcher. He's that's his story anyway. 
but I know that was supposed to be fictional, but we played in that ballpark in Durham. That was kind of a unique thing. And uh, after that year, I was just convinced I was going to come back here. And if I couldn't find an athletic training job, I was going to do something else. And the Padres called and asked me to go to instructional league, which is where they take their 30 best minor league players and form a team in, and it happened to be out in Arizona, in Mesa, Arizona. And you had the Angels and the Yankees and all those other teams were right in the area. The Cubs were there. So I got some good experience there. And my center fielder was Tony Gwynn. So I was the first athletic trainer Tony Gwynn had in pro baseball. And that was wonderful experience. And I had like five guys off that team that went on to the majors. And it was kind of cool. A few years later, uh, I was a treasurer for the NATA uh, Research and Education Foundation. And our president threw the opening pitch out, and he asked me if I would catch it. Well, you know how opening pitches are. They just get out there to lob the ball in. Well, Chris Ingersoll decides he's bringing the heat. <laughs> so I'm down in a catcher's squat, and here comes the ball, and it, it's, it's, it's about as hard as he can throw it, and it starts tailing off. So I was able to scoot over like a catcher, and I caught the ball backhanded. And I have a photo here on my wall of me holding the ball up above my head, showing him that I caught it. And they took a picture of me, and the picture also has a jumbotron up there at Dodger Stadium. And I'm on the jumbotron holding that ball up. So that was kind of a good experience. So after that year, I said I was going to come back here and try to find something else. The Padres called and asked me if I'd go to Double A in Amarillo, Texas. I don't know if you've been to Amarillo, but that's where elephants go to die. It's at the end of the earth, right before you fall off. <laughs> and uh, you've been to Amarillo? The only thing I've heard good by, about Amarillo is Amarillo by Morning by George Strait. Yep. Well, they've got uh, the Cadillac Ranch there, which which has uh, Bud Marsh is a is a rancher, and he has he's trying to prove how excessive things are. Each year he buys a Cadillac and he buries it halfway in the dirt. <laughs> they've moved it twice right next to the interstate, so you can see it from the interstate. And he's got about ten Cadillacs there buried up to the windshield, and. Uh, Great food in Amarillo, all beef. Don't go in there asking for tofu. But good experience. But I told them that I wouldn't go to double A unless I was the highest paid athletic trainer in the league. And I thought they would blow me off and just say, that's it. Well, they wanted me to go there. So Tony Gwynn was going to be there for half a season, or not even, not even three weeks, four weeks into the season that he got called up. So I went because they, they matched it. I made $1,400 a month for five months and I was done. And uh, I thought maybe I'd go back to instructional league, but then uh, fate interfered again. And a guy that was uh, 
the, the guard on our locker room, our, our clubhouse, was the athletic director at a local high school south of San Antonio. And he was looking for an athletic trainer. So he, he took me down and showed me the school. And, I, you know, I would be teaching uh, kindergarten phys ed and special ed phys ed. Well, I fit right in with those kindergartners. <laughs> yeah, I had I had as much fun as they did. So and the special ed kids were wonderful. That that was the best group of kids I ever taught. So I taught them how to how to believe this or not. There's a river that flowed through there and uh, we went over and went fishing. Well, you take seven special ed kids and put them on a bank with a with a pool um rod and reel it's a little scary but we did that and i took them bowling i talked told them how to play pool and the only thing i got in trouble for is i had them box in a uh we had a dummy hanging from the ceiling in the weight room i let them box on that a little bit and one of the parents said i was teaching them how to fight which wasn't it i was just trying to wear them down <laughs> they had a lot of energy but that was a good good job there. And then I was only making like 15000 a year. And then uh, Texas City job opened up, Texas City over by Galveston, south of Houston. And that job paid double what I was making in, in uh, Pleasanton. Texas City paid $30,000 because they had all the chemical factories right there in town. And they had a good tax base. And so I went there and the training room was unbelievable. It was nicer than my house. Carpeted, had cabinets, ice machines, sunken whirlpools, sauna. I had my own office. It was wonderful. So I went to Texas City. I'm unlocking all the boxes and putting things in the cabinets. And in walks this old man with a young kid behind him and uh, introduced himself as coach green. And he was the, the middle school football coordinator. And the kid behind him was Chris Ballard. Who's now the general manager of the Colts in Indianapolis. And Chris was my quarterback all the way through until his senior year. And his senior year, I left and came back to Rose Hallman in Indiana division three school over in Terre Haute. And he still kids me about leaving his senior year and how mad he was that I left. But he understands opportunity and just fell on my lap. So we remained friends all the years, still stay in contact. Last year, he had me up in his box, a Colts game when they played the Raiders. And so what, you know, friendships and relationships along the way that you make that's really what it's all about when it's all over with and he, he's been a great guy and uh i really appreciate the opportunity to be in texas city and pleasanton and and pro baseball was terrific and in the winter in the winter times i didn't have anything to do the first year so i worked with the pacers with davy craig Got a good experience there. That's the year they traded and got George McGinnis back and Don Boozy. 
and uh, I just I just wasn't prepared to see guys that I had looked up to for so many years sitting in the locker room at halftime drinking a beer. I just I just wasn't prepared for that. So I just knew the NBA wasn't the way I wanted to go. But I, I never worked pro football, but got to know those guys, Hunter Smith and and Dave Hammer. I got to know them, but I I never worked with pro football. But I had I'd had a lot of good experiences with the other teams. You know, how many guys get to go to the Final Four? I mean, how many guys start their career in a professional sports? venue right out of college and then I went to a high school and I went to a bigger high school and then I got to come home to my my home state to a division three school in the same school that I went to college in and how fortunate is that you you when once you said the words Rose Holman though you hurt my brain with that math thing yeah. Well, I was just fortunate that they were the ones taking the classes and I wasn't. <laughs> they were the smartest, smartest kids I ever dealt with. And just for the nicest, a lot of them were first year or first generation college students back in the, in the late 80s and early 90s. And Tim Sendrick was one of them, was my starting center on the basketball team. Now he's the president of Penske Motorsports. Sure is. And uh, great guy. And and uh, several of those guys have gone on to, and done very well. And stay in touch with me on Facebook, which is kind of cool to see what they're doing and how they're doing. And, you know, when it's all over, it's all the relationships. I mean, it's all about the people you meet, people you get to know, how they influence you in your life, and how much you were able to enjoy it. Because, uh, you know, money's nice, and I'll take, if you're paying for this, I'll be happy to take a few thousand dollars. But, um, <laughs> you know, money's nice, but it, it's the people you meet. That's, that's more important and it's worth more actually. It's a, it's a pleasure to meet some of these folks. When did you get into the insurance business, Rick? Well, I had, uh, I, I was at Rose Holman and then um, my team physician that I was able to choose was from Indianapolis. He was a Rose Holman grad and he went through Rose Holman in three years brilliant guy and he was the he played football there and he was he was the student body president jack farr and he wanted to open a satellite office in in Terre Haute. had a very successful practice over in indianapolis and he, he talked to me about starting that practice up and i could be the community liaison guy so i said sure i'd be interested in doing that of course, they paid me a stupid amount of money to do it, and I got to be uh, got to be home more with my family because at Rose Home and I was working football in the fall, basketball in the winter, and baseball in the spring, intermix indoor track, 
with cross country and outdoor track. I was working all those sports plus fencing and swimming. Rose Holman had swimming and we didn't even have a pool on campus. We went to Terre Haute North to swim. But you still had injuries to those guys. So I decided to make the jump and open this office so I could be home more. And whenever I got there and started working there, I went to the local high schools that I had worked with, knew the athletic directors and got contracts to cover their, their sports with athletic trainers that I had to hire. And uh, most of them were from ISU. And that just exploded. I mean, it, it went from starting from dirt to covering 13 high schools and two colleges. And then Steve Reed, who was the point guard at ISU, came into the hospital as a chief operating officer. And I was under him. And then he got a promotion to women's hospital here in Indianapolis. So I moved over here with him. I headed up, I was his assistant administrator. I headed up, uh, I think I had seven departments and over 110 employees that reported directly to me. And then St. Vincent's came in and bought the hospital. And they wanted me to stay on and be like the, the assistant administrator. And I knew that they were grooming people for those jobs. And so I took the buyout from my company, HCA. And I just decided I was going to do something different. And I looked at everything from, you know, selling smoothies out of the trunk of my car to buying a McDonald's to renting bounce houses. Uh, I looked at all <laughs> those things. And I really wasn't interested in real estate because it's up and down so much. I was afraid I couldn't, couldn't handle that. Insurance just made the most sense. And, and, you know, I told you I'm a one cell brain, so uh, I can think of it this way in athletic training, you, you try to prepare athletes for competition and protect them from getting hurt. And if they do get hurt, you restore them back to where they were. And it's the same thing as insurance. If you come in and not bring your autos and your home to me, we're going to talk about what do you need to get back to being what we call whole. So you'd be restored back to where you started. So I'm protecting you and then helping you get back to where you were when something bad does happen. So my little one cell brain was able to draw a line to that and say, that's what I want to do. So I started at my own agency here in my hometown and we've done very well. This is my 18th year now to do this. And, uh, I have two wonderful girls in my office, uh, Lisa and Stormy, and they've really, they've really taken care of me during this illness when I've been out, haven't been able to go to work. Now I'm back in the office four days a week, and I'm sure that they're happy to see me go at the end of the day. So I just go in and wreak havoc, but they really did get me through this whole process. And I mean, whenever my daughter posted on Facebook that the doctor said that there was no brain activity and that uh, she wouldn't post anything else until after it was over, I mean, it, it even choked me up a little bit. But that doctor, that neurologist looked at me and he said, well, Rick, I didn't see any brain activity. 
And I just looked up and I said, well, hell, Doc, you didn't know me before the stroke. There wasn't any much going on up there to begin with. <laughs> he just looked at me. He said, uh, he didn't say a word. He just looked at me and didn't even crack a smile. And the cardiologist was standing there and he was laughing. And he said, did you see the light? I said, light? Hell, Doc, I was feeling for heat. I thought I was going to hell. Carson <laughs> <started> laughed. <laughs> But I had uh, a friend and my daughter at the foot of the bed, and they had come to say goodbye to me when they pulled the the uh, life support off. And then I started breathing on my own. Uh, so I made it. And uh, that was a great day for me. But I didn't realize what, what, what I was left with. I didn't know I'd be paralyzed on the left side. And I've been working to get all that back ever since. And uh, hopefully here in the next month or so, I'll be able to take a couple steps. Well, you know, I've been following it the, the whole time, Rick, and uh, um, I apologize. It's taken me so long to get you on the show and what a fabulous story. And I'm, I'm glad you're doing so well. I can just, I just see you doing, you know, um, getting up and, and doing that walking again. Well, I, I know one of the first things I'm going to do is go down to ISU and walk around campus and look around at that stuff and go to Dr. Benke's house and sit down with him. We've talked on the phone a couple of times, and it's never just a 10-minute conversation. It's always uh, two hours. And we talk about all the crazy stuff that happened on the road and how much we enjoyed each other and and the players and coaching staff and how wonderful it was to be there at that time. And you couldn't have asked for everything. You said lightning in a bottle. It sure was. It was, it all came together. We, you know, Alex and Brad this weekend at homecoming, we sat and talked about that and about how everything came together at the same time. And Coach Hodges, his philosophy in coaching was a little different than Coach King's. He let them make more of the decisions and, and uh, he was a guider. He wasn't a strict thumbs on top of you coach. He guided him in the right direction. Bill Hodges' problem was he didn't have a Bill Hodges to help him. He didn't have a guy out on the road doing what Bill Hodges used to do as an assistant for Coach King. So he had to do it all. And he had Terry Thimler doing the scouting and, and Mel and Terry and Danny King doing the on-campus recruiting, but he, he was really short-staffed. And I think that's where he realized I helped out a lot. I took over a lot of the responsibilities. I mean, I had all the tickets that needed to be passed out. You, know, you were only allowed so many, and players only got so many. And so I, I had to dole those out, keep track of who got what, and then I took care of all the shoes and the equipment. We had equipment men, but they were basically janitors that came over and did the laundry. And I, I was the one that took care of all the equipment on the road and took care of everything, all the, the reservations and the dinner plans were Dr. Binky's, but I, I carried them out. 
So I got all the players there. That was my responsibility. Wake everybody up in the morning and get them down to breakfast. And what a great experience. You know, you just don't, you just don't have experiences like that. But I, I was fortunate and I realized that I'm sitting here looking at the basketball that has everybody's signature on it. And, uh, the memories just flood back, you know, it's what a great opportunity. Well, Rick, we probably can do a uh, part two, because I, I think we probably only scratched the surface of stories and uh, and talking about, and I know I ran a little bit long today, but uh, I appreciate your time. And I, I know everyone will uh, enjoy this. You also have two grandchildren or just one granddaughter? I've got a granddaughter and a grandson. Grandson has my middle name. Jamison Allen. My granddaughter, Addie Mae, is she's five and Jamison's three. And my daughter, Jessica, is, I don't know, 37. <laughs> I, I think it's more like 72 in, in dog years, but, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, kids, you worry about them and, and, and they grow up. I mean, all of a sudden they're growing up on you. Sometimes hard to make that transition. And I've included her every time we've had a reunion at ISU. Um, I always try to take her. And now my son-in-law, who I feel like I hit the lottery with this guy because he's wonderful. He's a good dad. And uh, he was so excited to go to the 40th anniversary reunion down at ISU because he got to meet Larry Bird. And so I asked Larry, you know, I don't, I try not to ask Larry to do anything because he's getting swarmed all the time, autographs and pictures and sign this, sign that. So I just said, Hey, can you, can you take a picture with my uh, son-in-law? He said, I'd be glad to. But we got, we got uh, Chris in there and took the picture and uh, he was tickled to death. And then I got him a room at the hotel. So they were able to spend the night there and be around all that stuff. And, all the players and go to dinner with everybody and share the experience because once again the relationship thing you know you just enjoy being with all those people and I don't think I can hug Steve Reed enough I just love him like a brother get to see him I would he comes by to see me and probably calls me once a month just checking in and what a good friend I came, came out of that basketball operation with. And, you know, I look at, I look now that most of these colleges have, a, have somebody they call the, the associate coach of basketball operations, the director of basketball operations. And that, that's what I did basically. But I was just the head, head manager and assistant athletic trainer. But wasn't about titles. It was about jobs and getting things done for the people you cared about. And I was blessed, man. That's all I can tell you. Sorry. I'm so long winded. No, you're perfectly fine, man. You haven't been out and about in a while. No, I did get to go out with my buddies. We went to a Mexican restaurant the other night for the first time ever since since this all happened and it was such a thrilling experience and and that sounds crazy but you're pinned up for for a year 
see what you want to do first. You know, you, you don't think, ah, I want to go to McDonald's. You think I want to see my friends. And I was able to do that and have a, have a good meal. It's not like the food in, in Houston. Mexican food up here isn't like the food in, in down there. My favorite was Nifa's down in Houston. That's the only place in the world I'll eat the guacamole. Nifa's in Houston. Yeah, it's a very, very good. We go to the original one every once in a while on the east side. Yeah, that's cool. The original one's something, isn't it? Yeah. Rickshaw, thank you so much. I, 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 I think people are probably going to want a part two, so you're going to have to start to jot some notes down of, of top ten stories that uh, we need to share on uh, episode number two with the interview with Rick Shaw. Anytime, Billy. It's always good to talk to you, buddy. And I apologize it took so long, and uh, uh, all of those uh, we won't let anybody know that we had some technical difficulties because you know we're professionals. We, we are mathematicians and technicians when it comes to technology. There you go. <laughs> All right. Oh, and, and, and oh, one other thing before we let you go. Um, I've been noticing this. Uh, where's Rico? Seems to be a, um, a, uh, uh, a, a quite often happening thing that I see you posting now. Where's Rico? Well, Rico was my nickname in high school because I, I took Spanish and everybody had to have a, uh, a Spanish name. So I didn't want to be Ricardo because, you know, that was where... My parents got my name to begin with. Uh, my father didn't want me named Richard. My mom wanted to name me Eric. So Ricky Ricardo was the, was pretty famous then. So they they named me Ricky. And in first grade, I dropped the Y. So I've been Rick ever since. And then I got to ISU, and uh, I only had one name at ISU the whole time I was there, and it was Rick Shaw. It wasn't <laughs> Rick. It was Rick Shaw. <laughs> I think so, you had one of your profile pictures actually of a rickshaw and for those of you who don't know what a rickshaw is look it up you may get a picture of rickshaw or you may get a picture of what a rickshaw really is get you from one place to another by someone else pulling you that was my number one thing on my bucket list was to ride in a real rickshaw and I did that in Key West and guy didn't believe me when I told him my name so he gave me a, a free ride to the local bar <laughs> I Rickshaw, my thank driver's you. Life. yeah thank you once again I know everyone will uh, enjoy this and I, I, I appreciate uh, yeah, you going along with us today no problem anytime Billy